Welcome to the Sunday Preaching Podcast of The Point Church, located in Perdido Key, Florida. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. My name is Joe. If you're a guest with us today, I'm the executive pastor here at the church, and it's my pleasure. I'm excited about getting to preach to you today. So if you would, grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3, and hold your place there for just a second. So in my house, we have gotten earlier and earlier every year uh, getting down our Christmas decorations. Uh, Now, for most of my life, I have been a purist. I don't want to see a Christmas tree or hear a Christmas carol before the Friday after Thanksgiving. Anybody else have the same philosophy? Y'all, y'all are way more passionate about this than the first service was. I have some, I have some friends here. Okay, but I'm, I got to confess, I have softened a little bit on my stance. I have. Over the years, just because being a dad and, and you know, just it's been a hard couple of years, so sometimes you need just something to make you feel happy. Uh, so, uh, y'all want to know how I spent my Halloween this week? I was up in the attic pulling down all of our Christmas decorations, all of it, in preparation for Christmas to explode all over our house. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. I love Christmas. I love how my kids get excited about it. I love how my wife decorates our house for Christmas. I love how it looks. I love how it smells. And I especially love how it tastes. Just kidding. Uh, we watched our first Christmas movie of the season on Halloween night. I think we may have a problem. I'm serious. Have y'all ever noticed that uh, most Christmas movies, especially of the Hallmark variety, have the exact same theme? They're all the same. Here's the template. Here's how it goes. So a famous and successful man or woman is sent to a small town to buy a struggling family business or a fancy hotel on the site of a beloved historic landmark. Y'all tracking with me on this? While he or she is there, they fall in love with somebody connected to said business or landmark. In the end, they have to choose whether to do what is best for business or what is best for the people that they now love and have a strong connection to. And of course, they always forsake the big profit to stay and live a simple life with their soulmate in this small town. <laughs> I don't care if it's Jimmy Stewart playing George Bailey. Or if it's an aging soap opera actress, we are drawn to stories of humiliation. And I don't mean humiliation like pie in the face and everybody's laughing at them. I mean humiliation like we're drawn to stories where someone who is clearly great in one environment chooses to humble themselves to go help other people in a perceived lesser environment. So why are we drawn to that? Hang with me, I got a theory. I think that 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 is implanted in us by God, especially for Christians. You know, the the Christian life is a funny thing. Very rarely do the things that we count as success translate into success in God's economy. Uh, We see that all throughout Scripture. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to live, you have to die. Love your enemies. 
and forgive repeatedly. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5 through 7, it gives us a picture of God's upside-down kingdom authority. So bottom line, a true Christian life is going to look different from the secular culture. Hey, y'all, sometimes a true Christian life looks different than some religious cultures, too. So today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians entitled, A Life of Joy. Specifically, this morning, we're going to look at joyful loss. Joyful loss. So let's get to work. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is the sixth time that this word rejoice appears in this letter. It's the recurring theme throughout the book of Philippians, and we're really going to hammer this home when we get to chapter 4 in a couple of weeks. But verse, uh, continue that verse. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So what's he talking about here? So Paul, he's referring back to chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, when uh, he tells the Philippians to stand firm in the true gospel and to not be frightened or alarmed by their opponents. And here are the opponents that he's talking about. Look at verse 2. He says to look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So today, we're going to learn how to be losers. How to be losers. And the first things that we need to lose are the distractions. So the first thing I want you to see today, lose the distractions. So back in verse 2, Paul tells the Philippians to look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So who's he talking about? He's talking about the Judaizers. Now, these are the same guys that we saw back in our Galatians study with Pastor Tim a few months ago. So Philippi was on a major east-west turnpike through Macedonia. So these Judaizers, these jokers, frequently traveled through Philippi, spreading their false teaching. Now, some of them were trying to convert Christians and the other Gentiles to straight-up Judaism, which would have been somewhat attractive at this time because the Jews were not being persecuted by the Romans at this, at this time in history, and the Christians were. Some of the, of the Judaizers were teaching that Christianity was okay, but if the Christians wanted to really get it right, 
They needed to first follow the Jewish law of Moses and then follow Christ, basically adding uh, extra work to being a Christian. So Paul refers to these Judaizers first as dogs. Now, don't think cute labradoodles. Um, The word that, that he used here would have been very familiar to city folks in the Roman Empire. So Paul's referring to these stinky, mangy, dirty street dogs that often traveled in packs, really being a nuisance around the town. They're getting in people's trash, and they're really kind of dangerous if you got hemmed up in in a bunch of them because they were were just mean. So ironically, this word for dogs that Paul uses here was a word that the Jews often used to refer to the Gentiles. So don't think that Paul didn't know that when he wrote this in this letter. So first of all, lose the dogs. Next, Paul calls them evildoers. Why? Why does he call them evildoers? Well, because adding any type of obstacle to the gospel is evil. Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's some pretty strong language from Jesus there. Finally, Paul says for the Philippians to look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So what's he talking about here? Well, part of a man becoming Jewish first to then become a Christian would require him to be circumcised, which was the outward symbol of God's covenant people, the Jews. The Greek word that Paul uses there, though, is not uh, the word for circumcision. He uses the Greek word for mutilation. And the people would have known that that referred to uh, the way that uh, the pagans would use uh, bodily mutilation as part of their worship to their false gods. So think Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal when they're cutting themselves like crazy, trying to get Baal to send down fire from heaven to burn up the altar. In fact, in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council ruled that the Gentile converts did not have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses first in order to be a Christian. Adding anything to the gospel is a distraction. Legalism is a distraction. We are not made right with God by Jesus plus anything else. So adding any ritual, tradition, preference, dress code, style of music, food restriction, anything, you name it. Any of that is a distraction to the gospel. And those things should be tossed out. So lose the distractions. Next, Paul tells them to lose the self-deception. Lose the self-deception. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, Under the law, blameless. It is no longer an outward sign like circumcision that makes a person a child of God. So for the Jews, they put so much weight on following the law of Moses. And they put so much weight 
on having the sign of that covenant carved into their flesh. And they put a lot of weight on being descendants of Abraham. And Paul is saying here that if circumcision was the sign of the old covenant, then we are the sign of the new covenant. The true believers, the Christ followers, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. So as Christians, we cannot put any confidence in our own abilities, in our goodness. No confidence in our lineage. You know, if, if your mother or father or grandparents are Christians, that doesn't automatically mean that you are. So don't put confidence in that. And just because you've memorized all the Bible verses in Awana, you can't put confidence in that. So just because you don't watch this or don't drink that or don't smoke this or don't say that word, that cannot be our confidence and what makes us right with God. It is in Christ alone. We just sang about it. It is in Christ alone that our hope is found. He is the cornerstone of our faith. It's not works in our humanity or works in our flesh. So maybe you've been listening this morning, you've heard us say this word, the gospel or the gospel, and maybe you don't totally understand what that means. Sometimes in church we say that and we can kind of be ambiguous about it. So I don't want to do that today. I want to give you what the gospel is. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. So God created a perfect world. No sin, no death, just a perfect world. And he created two perfect people, Adam and Eve. And God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the day every day. But one day Satan, our enemy, tempted Eve to eat fruit from the one tree that God said not to eat from, and sin entered the world. And sin has wreaked the havoc of brokenness ever since. We all sin, all of us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of sin, death came into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, death became their punishment. And it also became our punishment because we're born into sin. Paul said in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But praise God, he didn't stop there. He said, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, the penalty for sin is death. But God gave an alternative through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to take the death penalty that, that, that you deserve and that I deserve. But it didn't stay dead. <laughs> because three days later, God raised him back to life. And Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning now he's the boss of your life, not anybody else, not any other distraction, but Jesus alone. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And finally, Paul says in Romans 10, 10, the next verse, that with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So from perfect design to the brokenness of sin, to restoration back to God through Jesus Christ, we are the children of God. And so that's what Paul means when he says that we are the circumcision. We are the new covenant. Can somebody praise the Lord this morning for what God did for us when he sent Jesus? Amen. Look back at verse 4. Paul goes on to say that if anybody could boast in their flesh and their accomplishments, it would be him. 
Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here's his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he says here, if you want to play the Jew first card, I got you beat. So most of these Judaizers were Jewish converts, meaning they were Gentiles who who converted to Judaism, and they were circumcised as adults. But Paul was born into it, circumcised on the eighth day per the law of Moses. Advantage Paul. Paul was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. So if any of these Judaizers were actually Jewish by birth, it's pretty doubtful they could trace back their lineage to a specific tribe because ever since the Old Testament days, the exile, when they went to the exile, the Jews were, had intermingled and they were dispersed all over the known world. So they wouldn't have known what their tribe was or anything. But Paul, Paul was a, was, was a Hebrew by birth. He was pure. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, which is the tribe of the first king of Israel, Saul. Benjamin, the tribe blessed by Moses as being beloved by the Lord. So again, advantage Paul. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, the real deal. In terms of training and knowledge of the law, Paul was a Pharisee, which was the most conservative and meticulous teachers of the law and enforcers of the law that there were. He was trained in Jerusalem by a very prominent member of the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel. So in terms of Paul's training, think, think Ivy League. So again, advantage Paul. In terms of zeal, and passion for the law, Paul didn't just uh, disapprove of the Christian movement when it first started. He proactively hunted Christians down and dragged them back to Jerusalem and cheered on their execution as blasphemers. Advantage Paul. In terms of his public perception of living up to the law, he said he was blameless. So if you're keeping score just now, that's a shutout for Paul. He did everything he was supposed to do. Paul was good at being a Jew. He was the best. And he was deceived. Before he could truly know the God that he professed to serve, he had to lose his self-deception of righteousness based on checking all the right boxes. And he's telling the Philippians... If I couldn't be made right with God by being a good Jew, I guarantee you these Yahoo Judaizers can't either. So what are you trusting in today to get you to God? Being a good person will never be good enough. Remember what Romans 3.23 said? That all sin, all fall short. Are you trusting in your intellect, how smart you are or how talented that you are? I'm telling you, it won't be enough. Are you trusting in good health and being in good shape? Hey, we're all going to get old. We're all going to get fat. And we're all going to get sick and die. So lose the self-deception. Finally, Paul encourages the Philippians to lose everything to know Christ. Lose everything to know Christ. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So after his very impressive resume, Paul confesses that he counts all of that as loss for the sake of Christ. He counts every bit of his lineage, his training, all of his accomplishments. He counts it as nothing compared to knowing Christ as his Lord. In verse 8, he says that he basically lost everything and he counts it all as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Now that word there for rubbish can be translated as human waste. And that's the nicest way I can say that. The most literal translation of that word would be the most vulgar word for human waste you can think of if you catch my drift. Some people also translate uh, that word to mean trash, like what the street dogs that we talked about earlier would have been rummaging through. Yeah, whether you call it human waste or trash, either way, it is stinky, gross stuff that nobody would want. And that's how Paul describes his life's accomplishments in Judaism. His, his, his life's accomplishment in the flesh. He lost all of that to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. But with losing everything, Paul gets to share in the resurrection, the eternal life that is found in Christ. And this also gives him a much different view on suffering. If Christ suffered so much, was Paul better than Christ? No, of course not. So if Christ suffered, Paul was happy to suffer too, even to the point of dying, because eternal life is what waits on the other side. It is a freeing thing to come to the realization that our salvation does not rely on us. Amen. Our righteousness does not rest on our own merit. If we are in Christ, He is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ gave up everything to step into human flesh, to come down to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sin. He lost it all so that we could gain it all. Several years ago, uh, Pastor Tim and I and our band got invited to go lead worship and preach up at Teen Challenge up on Highway 98. Y'all know that. Y'all pass by that if you go up that way. Um, it was really a great night. Like They were so engaged in the worship time. And, and after Pastor Tim preached, the altar in their chapel was just slammed full. 
And y'all, we didn't do anything different than we do every Sunday. We sang four songs. Tim got up, preached, clearly shared the gospel. But the impact was just really exponentially greater. So what was the difference? Well, on the car ride home, we got to talking about that, trying to figure out what was so different between that Tuesday night versus the Sunday morning. What we kind of came up with is uh, the difference between church folks on a Sunday morning and the Teen Challenge guys is that the Teen Challenge guys, they know they're broken. Uh, by the time these guys get into Teen Challenge, they've practically lost everything. They got no pretense. The mask of having it all together is gone. And they've finally gotten to the place where God can work in their lives. Oftentimes at church, we act like we've got it all together. Our masks are fully intact. They're on, they're good. And that's a scary place to be in spiritually. None of us have it all together. None of us. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a Savior. And nobody had it together more than Paul. And he's saying, I count all of that as waste. I count it as trash in comparison to having the right kind of relationship with Jesus. So what are you holding on to this morning? Again, is it how good you are? Is it your image? Guys, I got news for you. God can see right through that. Are you holding on to some kind of shame? Is there some kind of habitual sin that you just can't shake and you're too ashamed to confess it? Can I just ask you this morning, let go of that. Lose it. Nothing compares to knowing Christ deeply and intimately. And that doesn't happen until we count everything else as loss. And that kind of loss is a joyful loss. Can we pray together?